Welcome to the K2 Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Kelly. Every week, I'll be sitting down with a sales executive where they'll share their stories and experiences that produce game-changing results. Let's be honest, sales can be a tough game. I'm sure at some point, we've all delivered a less than stellar demo, been ghosted by a client or two, and sometimes maybe we did more talking than listening. And that's where I can help. The stories and insights our guests share can be applied to your own business, your territory, or with your team, so you're not reinventing the wheel. Our weekly tactics and strategies help you get out of your head and start creating your own path towards game-changing results. Welcome back to the K2 Sales Podcast. I am your host, Karen Kelly. Now, as we look at the great resignation, you know, getting good talent is very difficult to do, especially in the tech environment. And so we have to ask ourselves as sales leaders, as business owners, what can we do? How can we look inward to ensure that we are getting the, the best of the best and also, you know, retaining our existing and, you know, I had the pleasure of speaking with Tom Gerling, who's a, uh, the founder of Blue Mediation. He's a qualified mediator, workplace fairness analyst, and licensed private investigator. And Tom spent 37 years in the Ontario Provincial Police. So he brings a wealth of knowledge. And currently with his mediation in uh, workplace conflict and harassment, you know, oftentimes we think of harassment on the, the high spectrum. So it's physical or sexual abuse or harassment. But What about the gray zones when we leave a meeting feeling unsure of ourselves, feeling uncomfortable and questioning, you know, was that aimed at me and my lack of experience? Was that was that geared towards the deal that I just lost? And were they kind of poking fun at me? And so we focus this conversation on those gray zones and why why are they happening? And as company owners, as leaders and not you don't have to be in a leadership role to empower people to to correct this and and take a stance that addresses it immediately. Because what I've seen happen is, you know, we've all been in that meeting where someone is made to feel uh, less than, and um, perhaps it's it's on the spot, whether it's now virtual or in a, in a face-to-face setting, but we leave the meeting and we talk about it behind closed doors or after the meeting. And did you hear, did you see what happened with Steve there? My God, they totally you know, lambasted him or, or what about Julie? Like she almost cried. So my question is, why are these conversations happening after the fact? Because that continues to feed a toxic culture and that behavior now becomes acceptable. So we talk about what can we do in that moment to address it immediately so people know we are setting the precedence that this is not acceptable. And regardless of your title, you can't throw your weight around because you're an executive and now this is deemed acceptable. And so whether it's um, race, gender, many factors that that we feel um, inappropriate. So we really need to be mindful of communication, our language, and um, you know how our listener could perceive something. And, w- and when you look at the last two years, you know, mental health is, is off the charts. So are we exasperating our team and making it even harder? And do they, do they not want to come to work? And so when you look at um, people that you're trying to attract new teams, especially the, the Gen Zs, you know, and the, and the younger generations, they, they're looking for more than the paycheck. They want to be part of something. They want to know that they, their voice is heard, that they're understood. And if they get a hint of anything um, other than an inclusive, collaborative, growth mindset culture, they're out. 
And so when you think about who's retaining the talent, who's growing it, you know, leaders pay attention, business owners pay attention because this is a topic that is, it's not going away. And so how can we look inward? How can we reward those who are taking a stance, who are empowering people to have a voice, to lean in, to trust the process, to come forward and know that something's going to be done. And it doesn't have to be the extreme. It's somebody made me feel small. Somebody shut my idea down because what is that going to do for future me? I'm not going to participate in any meetings anymore. My ideas um, are worthless. So if I'm already entering this conversation in a deflated um, position, you've now added to that. So how are you creating a safe space? How are you trying to attract new people? It's never going to happen. So I get pretty passionate about this because I spent 20 years in corporate and I saw it. I still see it. It is getting better, as Tom said, but it, this conversation still needs to be happened. And, you know, the goal here is to really create this safe space that we can talk about things and start, you know, moving the needle, whether it's gender, race, whatever the situation is, that we're all able to come to the table together and move the needle in a safe environment. So encourage you to, to listen to this and ask yourself, where do I sit? Do you know, do I resonate with the listener? Do I resonate with, you know, the kind of bully at the top? And uh, what can I do differently? How can I increase my self-awareness to really be mindful of the impact of my language, of my tonality, of the questions I'm asking? And what am I trying to do? Build people up or tear them down? And where is that coming from? So love to hear your feedback if um, if this resonated with you. And, and hopefully just by hearing this, you learn a few things that you can prevent this and you can turn things around to start creating um, an inclusive culture that's going to attract new talent. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. When you think about workplace harassment and, and conflict in the workplace, it really is a spectrum. And oftentimes people think if it's not physical sexual abuse, then it's it's okay, it's acceptable. And, and I, I think, and maybe you can educate me here, is it's in the, the gray areas that people are questioning, is this reportable or this makes me feel uncomfortable? What should I do? So maybe we could just start by defining like what is, um, you know, conflict in the workplace. Thank you very much, Karen. Yeah, th that's such a great question because it really identifies the issue of reporting and, and the issue of what is acceptable in a workplace. So uh, I always look at it and, and this is based on a lot of the legislation and um, some of the cases that have, have uh, been investigated and, uh, in, the, in the province. But uh, it, it's, it's really based on the hearer or the listener, uh, the recipient of communication. So most conflict is as a result of um, a failure uh, in communication, whether it's the communicator, the person that's providing the information, or the hearer, the listener, um, receiving the information, there's a breakdown and there's perceptions that then take over. Now, we all have our own perceptions of things and this these are built from our past history and our experiences that we've had in our lives. And we anticipate when we hear things, it, we compartmentalize it. And, and I'm sure you've you've had experiences where um, and everyone has had this, when someone is telling you something, you immediately go to what their intent is and, and what they're uh, saying based on some experience that you've had in the past, either good or bad. When in fact, you, you stop actually listening to them because you're developing your own response to what you believe they're saying. 
And, you know, that's all part of an active listening piece, um, which is really important in, in your work. And, and it is obviously in, in other types of uh, business as well. So the conflict really comes from a, a, a breakdown in communication and then a perception that we develop that may or may not be the reality. So when we talk about workplace harassment or bullying, what we really have to concern ourselves with is, is the listener and what they're perceiving and what they're hearing. That, that's, that's really at the heart of it. It's not what the intent of the person that's saying the things is. It's how what is being said or done is picked up and perceived by the listener. Interesting. So, you know, and it, it kind of goes back to the importance of communication. But what I'm hearing there is also perception, because say we're in a boardroom and someone sets a statement, a question, um, a directive, and we all there's four or five of us, but we all interpret it as, or perceive it as something different based on what you're saying as past experience, or we kind of box it into our own life experience or something that's happened before. And based on that, we could deem what they've just said as negative or positive. Yes. Meanwhile, the intention of the speaker was completely different. 100%. I'll give you an example. There was a presentation being done in a boardroom, and the presenter uh, was a motorcycle rider. And um, they were, at the time, describing the motorcycle that they had as being a Harley-Davidson built in the United States. And uh, they described it that was their fifth, fourth or fifth bike that they've owned in their life. And that pre, a previous bike that they had was uh, a Japanese, I think it's a Honda motorcycle. This person uh, used that terminology all their life and felt that there was no issue with, with saying something like that. And there were, there were people of different ethnic backgrounds in, in the classroom, and it was uh, taken as an offensive comment. And the person that said it was shocked. So, you know, when you talk about perceptions and our lived experiences and our lives, sometimes I don't think this person that said it said it with any ill intent to, you know, categorize any any particular race of people. But it did came out that it come out, came out that way, and it was heard that way, and uh, it was addressed immediately, and they apologized and. And they took responsibility for it. And I think it, it, that that was fine. But that just gives you an example of how one person's perception of what they're saying is completely innocent. And what what people are hearing is the opposite to that. Again, that kind of blows my mind that somebody would even say that. But, you know, it's where they're from and what the, what they know. Yeah. But the, the silver lining in that story, Tom, is that it was addressed immediately. Because what I see and what I've been privy to is it not to that extent where it's an obvious racial slur yeah. but where it's there's an underlying almost a bit of a passive aggressiveness that leads you believing did they just insult me there or do they you know and that's even worse i think because then you start questioning yourself but but mm -hmm. the thing that i see is people leave the room and they're like did you hear what tom just yeah. said like he <laughs> totally cut mary up yeah. and meanwhile you're like we all heard it but why didn't anybody bring that up well, in the room with Tom, and then we leave, and that contributes to a toxic culture. And so, let's talk about that a little bit about like why, in that moment, was it not addressed? Let's, yeah. let's break that down for a moment. Say, in a boardroom, something was said 
whether directly or indirectly, made the person feel or everyone had that. Uh, well, where could we take that? If, 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 if everyone's feeling that, safe to say there was intent there. So why in your experience, Tom, do people not stop there and, and address that person who said that? Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's so common, uh, just exactly what you described. Um, there are a number of reasons why. And uh, there's a there's an inherent fear. Now, now let's go back uh, even further. There, there's a fear uh, in some people of speaking up at all for any reason. You've done all kinds of training, and you know that percentage of people in the classroom that just sit back and they, they don't feel comfortable even asking a simple question. And you know, as a as a speaker you know that they're the ones that you want to try to engage so that everyone's um, engaged in, in the group. So you you already have the initial fear of people speaking up about mundane things. So then add on the fact that they maybe hear something that they're, then they, they, the next piece is that they question whether it was uh, what they think it is, um, an insulting comment. Uh, the, my example, as if I can use that, people may not realize that it was you know, uh, a racial comment and, uh, and could be offensive. And so they're questioning that. So we have the first piece that they're uncomfortable speaking, then add to that questioning whether it is a problem and, you know, I, I want to go back to really what the definition and in some of the definitions and not the legal definition of uh, harassment, uh, a course of uh, vexatious comment or contact that is known to be unwelcome. But uh, anything that's really making you feel uncomfortable should be addressed and it should be talked about. And there may be some reasons why, you know, the, the listener um shouldn't feel that way. But in most cases, if you're feeling uncomfortable about what something is being said, it should be addressed. So the reasons why it's not being addressed are, are numerous. And the first, you know, first two examples of people being afraid of speaking up and then not knowing whether they should speak up. But then there's also those internal types of things that go on within an organization. There's power imbalances. Maybe the person who made the comment is a supervisor or a manager. So that adds another layer of, geez, do I want to say anything to the boss about that? You know, that may affect my career. Uh, maybe there's some personal history between the, the two people. Or even, you know, going back to uh, the, the person, the, the listener, maybe they've got some internal issues, uh, perceptions. They grew up in a domineering household and, and comments uh, that were made um, that you and I may think are totally inappropriate, they just say, well, that's just how I grew up. Um, and of course, there's that old saying uh, that everyone who's who's been in the workforce for any period of time at all uh, has probably heard when someone will say, oh, that's just Bill. That's just the way he is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and kind of writing it off that way. Uh, the other The other things that keep people from speaking up is how confident they feel in the workplace. Have they seen the organization take that type of thing seriously? Has there been some sort of um, punishment or uh, discipline levied on people that have done things that are inappropriate? And conversely, have people that have brought it forward been rewarded? Or have they been chastised and uh, retaliated against? 
Um, th those are, you know, just some of the examples of really why people tolerate this inappropriate behavior and let it go on. And, mm -hmm. and if I just, if I may add as well, in my experience in workplace investigation and workplace conflict mediation, uh, invariably the majority of the cases that I've investigated have and mediated have been as a result of unresolved conflict from years ago. And so when it isn't dealt with initially, you can guarantee that somewhere down the line, there will be either a harassment complaint uh, that will be need to be investigated. There will be all those issues that happen to people that are experiencing this type of thing um, with, uh, you know, sick leave and uh, their product productivity goes down, etc. So the importance of addressing it immediately, the importance of organizing organizations supporting people who want to come forward and maybe maybe afraid of coming forward and then also for organizations to uh, uh, really develop a program that shows people it's better to come forward than to keep it to yourself yeah all really all really great points and the one that stood out for me is um when it's someone of leadership and you're just thinking am i Little me, say in my environment, a sales rep, junior, are they going to call out their boss in front of everybody? Uh, whether they were spoken to that way or whether they are the bystander, probably not, right? And, and they're thinking, well, you know what, I'm new. And even if I'm not new, I'm inexperienced. This is a leadership team. And, and what, am, what is this going to do for my promotion, for my potential career? But it just continues to add to the toxicity of the culture. And so what I like what you said is how can we, we reward yeah. those who do stick their neck out? It, and again, in a diplomatic and a tactful way. Mm -hmm. But I would say when you said, you know, um, address it immediately, that's key. In, in that moment, how can we voice our concerns, whether it's we, we are part of the, the same race, whether it's a, a gender thing? But if you've offended that person, chances are you've offended three or four other people in the room. Yeah. And, you know, that really takes leadership within the organization and not, not necessarily a formal leader, but uh, even a supervisor or someone that's been in the organization for an extended period of time that has some tenure there, they could potentially bring it forward as well. If the person that's uncomfortable um, the, the person that heard the comment felt uncomfortable. If they could go to someone else within the organization to bring it forward, if they don't feel comfortable, that's, that's one of the um, alternatives you want. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to work in an organization where there, no one's walking on eggshells and feeling, you know, sick to their stomach. Uh, if they have to see someone that they have, are having conflict with, but that's the reality. And conflict is part of, everyday work life it's part of life people who say i i avoid conflict i try to avoid conflict well they're not necessarily living in the real world because mm -hmm. you cannot avoid it so you just need to know how to deal with it uh, and and some conflict there's been lots of books written on this uh, some conflict can be positive and i say that in the um in the way that in the way that it's handled because if you and I are having a disagreement about something, it can be very positive if we collaborate on a, on a solution that suits both of us. Mm -hmm. uh, 
if you know there, there's that uh, chart that identifies how people deal with conflict in the bottom left hand corner is the avoidance one well i'm I just you know, i don't want to deal with that that's just the way bill is using Bill as an example, this is just the way he is, so don't worry about it. That's the avoiding piece. And that's just fraught with problems in the future. Uh, and you want to get up to the collaboration in the top right-hand quadrant. But the other two areas are, um, no, it's my way. I've got more time on than you, Karen. That's the way it's going to be. And you and you acquiesce to that. Okay, yeah, you're the boss. And then the, the other way is to... Um, the other quadrant is is when you say, okay, well, this time I'll let you get away with it, but next time we'll do it my way. So there's the, it, there is sort of a give and take there, but in every case, one side loses. So in conflict mediation, you know, we, we have speak about anyone that goes through mediation that, that successfully goes through mediation. It's a win-win situation because both parties uh, are available there in a safe, confidential uh, location to express how they feel and then to hear how the other party feels and, and the reasons why they said or did whatever they did. And then they can work together to come up with how can we keep this from happening in the future? Because all of this work is about future focus. What's ever happened has happened. We can't change that. But how can we prevent it from happening in the future? How can we work together on that? So that that collaborative piece at the end of the day, when I talk about there is some good conflict, is it, it creates an opportunity for people to collaborate on a reasonable way uh, and solution for them to work together in the future. So that's mm -hmm. why it, it can be a positive thing. I think conflict, definitely. I mean, we, we don't want to be surrounded with yes people all the yeah. time, right? And I think as long as it's respectful and it's kind of where the studies show a diverse team outperforms a non-diverse team. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just feel it's, we can say these things, but it's, are we show, are we demonstrating, are we yeah. modeling them? So when we have our employee handbook or whatever we're following, and then we're in a boardroom and you're talking about creating a safe space, but are we actually doing that? Or is it just fill out this form and then knowing that form goes nowhere, nothing gets happened. And so what I think now with this great resignation and everything going on, people are not just evaluating uh, places of employment for the, 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 the dollars. They're looking at the culture big time. And am I going to be, they want to be part of something bigger, a community. What does this stand for? And if I can even get a whiff of that before I come in, I am not even entering the door. So I, I think it, you know, any organization trying to attract good talent loses their competitive edge because of that right there. 100%. And, and you're describing uh, leadership. It doesn't have to be the CEO of the organization. It can be a frontline supervisor uh, expressing, you know, the old, the old school open door policy. Um, there's, there's some, good and bad with that. But the good part of that is I want you to feel free and safe to be able to express yourself, even if you disagree with something that, that I have uh, put forward. I remember Chris Lewis, a uh, retired commissioner of the OPP, would say, listen, come and tell me if you have a problem with some of my decisions. I, I need to hear that feedback. Now, I'm not mm -hmm. saying you will get your way. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I have to make decisions that are the best for the whole organization, not just for an individual. But 
you could possibly get your way, but I won't know if you don't come forward. So I really yeah. like that idea. And there's another great leader, uh, Angelo Caravaggio from the military, um, uh, retired, I think, as a lieutenant colonel, and he teaches leadership. And he said, you know, I, I had an open door policy, but I also had some provisos with that. And for any of the military folk that had an idea or had a, a problem with one of my decisions, they were more than welcome to come in and talk to me about it. But also, when you do that, bring me a, a, an alternative solution and bring me the legislative uh, authority <laughs> that will allow me to adopt that solution. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, those were some pretty good takeaways for me as well, because I asked him then, I said, well, tell me then of, of all the people that came in your door, uh, how many times did you change your mind and adopt their solution? And he said, 90%. Mm. And, and I said, well, we both talked about that afterwards. And we thought, wow, what, what a great way to, a great place to work when you know that if you do have a problem and you come, you know, you, you don't just complain about a particular situation, but you actually have a solution and you have, as he said, the authority uh, that you would give him to to make that decision. And you walked out with your way now, uh, something changed the way you want it to be. How, how would you feel? You'd feel fantastic, empowered, yeah. um, all those real good uh, things that, that we want our uh, people to within an organization to feel that example there Tom shows me that they showed them the path or they gave them the process and, and the other examples didn't so it's like oh yeah. you know do this or we encourage that but here you know and mm -hmm. that was one of my first learnings in corporate at a very young age is that if I'm going to bring I don't agree with something yeah. I'm definitely going to bring a solution to the world I'm just not going to you know slam this without bringing some solution but then he took it a step further and said this is what if, if you want this implemented this is what you need to do so basically do some work and look at that 90% adoption rate so it just if if leaders yeah. could kind of show the how or the process to execution I feel that that might be a little bit of the missing part just another way to do this is um, in my workplace re restoration work uh, this is this is this, the things that I do uh, to particular workplaces that have suffered a workplace investigation, so disruptive. You know, uh, the investigators come in, they interview witnesses, both for the respondent and witnesses against the respondent that are supporting the complainant, etc. And then uh, our workplace mediation, where there's been issues that affect a number of people, but it's really involving two individuals. And those are the two people that I mediate with. But what about all the ancillary um, issues that, that occur and the, and the problems that people have? So that's where the workplace restoration work comes in. And, you know, it, in my discussions with, with uh, small working units within the police department, this is primarily where I've specialized my work in, uh, in, in work units, there's usually a supervisor involved I will suggest to the supervisor that they hold regular staff meetings and have an agenda and have some standing items on it. But I also really stress this part, and this most, most important part of, of a staff meeting is you go through the status of uh, sales or whatever type of work you're in. Uh, you go to do the round table. How's, how's this project going? How's that project going, et cetera. And then give yourself 10 minutes at the very end and do this. I don't know if you could see this, but close mm -hmm. your book and set it down and say, okay, 
How's everybody doing? And, and start to break down that I'm the boss. Uh, you'll do what I tell you to do. And you'll have things done when I ask you, you know, when I expect them to be done. And start to break that down to be more human. And it's very difficult for some people. And it's also very difficult for the people to hear the boss say, so how's it, how's it going? They hesitate. So what I recommend for them to do for the first couple of meetings is for these supervisors to take the lead and say, okay, how's everybody doing? Well, wait, let me tell you how I'm doing. You know, I, and then to be very honest, I'm having a real problem with this COVID thing. Like uh, I, I have homeschooling, I'm so stressed out. You know, I have elderly parents and I'm worried about you know, whatever it is. Ex expose that that little piece. And I'll tell you, within the law enforcement community, very difficult. They're nervous about showing any sort of humanity. But as soon as they do, and others do, it bonds that team. Uh, you know, the old, uh, the old analogies of show your weakness, show a weakness uh, to your team, show them that you're not infallible. Uh, mm -hmm. described that you had a problem once and didn't know how to deal with it and, and you got into trouble over it. That People are so afraid of doing that, but that's really strength. That's not weakness, that's strength. And that shows that everyone can make a mistake and you're not going to be hung at dawn because of it. You're, people will understand that. And um, it, it really helps to break down and, and then the core and the key to that piece is that starts to open up the lines of communication. Then people start feeling more confident to be able to say, you know, I was at a presentation uh, yesterday and someone said something and it really bothered me. I didn't feel confident, comfortable talking about it then, but now I am. And now the supervisor is hearing this and, oh, well, tell me about that. Well, yeah, we can't have that. Do you want, do you want to come with me and we'll address it or do you want me to address it for you? So at least you're opening up the lines of communication there. And I really recommend that to any, any supervisor that has a team to hold these staff meetings regularly. And they, the last part of that I'll, I'll just describe is that if I'm new to the team or if I'm kind of introverted and I'm uncomfortable, I know that I may not come to you today about a problem, but if you're holding a regular staff meeting next Tuesday, I know that that's an opportunity for me to talk about mm -hmm. it. And, and if I don't feel comfortable then, I know that next Tuesday is another opportunity. So it's really powerful. And it's this very simple thing. Well, that's the consistency piece. And when you're, as you're talking, I was just writing that, that word down, consistency and regular. So when, when you're ready, I'm creating a safe space. I'm guessing no one's going to jump on the first round. But right. knowing that two, three, four, and just what I'm hearing is even the more we start talking about it, even if it's not the first time, we're hearing it out loud. And, and so say an event happened yesterday and I'm talking about it at my staff meeting on Friday. Yeah. I'm still airing it. But mm -hmm. what I'm hearing is as long as these regular meetings are taking place, the gap in between when it happened and when I voice, we can shrink it. Yeah. So that in time, we might be actually able to say something in the moment, whether it's us or or we are in the environment where it's happening to somebody else, because 
we are comfortable talking about it. We're also seeing the benefits of what come out of it from talking about it. Because often we're like, I don't trust the system. I don't trust like, and that was me. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. they're like, well, write your thing here. I'm like, well, I know who's reviewing this. I know this is going to go nowhere and I'm just not going to do it. So I think when we can build that culture and that habit, but also show them that this is what comes out of it so that they feel you don't tell them they they feel it firsthand themselves. So that's going to train them, and then it's going to you know um, through osmosis, it's going to hopefully have a, an effect on their peers. You may not, as a supervisor, frontline in in my old world, a sergeant, a, a, a shift sergeant, you may not have the ability or the authority to um, levy any sort of discipline or whatever. But an organization itself needs to develop the trust by showing the whole organization that they take things like harassment very mm-hmm. seriously. They can say it all day long. Oh yeah, we have a harassment policy and we have a, pl- a program and our joint health and safety committee, they're all over it. They've all had the training and everything. They could talk about that all day long. But until people are held accountable for harassing others, for being bullies, until that is seen to be uh, by others, then it's uh, paper tiger. It's it's not it's not worth the the paper that it's written on. So, organizations, the CEOs, the chief administrative officers, the chief operational officers, they they have have a real duty here to show that they take uh, the, this policy seriously. It's legislated. You know, there's been lots of examples where um, organizations have failed to take take uh, their harassment policies uh, seriously, and they've been fined uh, through human rights tribunals, etc. They've been fined uh, for for failing to do that. So there's legislation that requires it, but more importantly, it really gives the employees, the workers, the people that are doing the work, that confidence. Uh, that it is taken seriously and something will be done and I won't be retaliated against for coming forward. That's a very common theme out there. The reason why I didn't mm-hmm. come forward is I'm going to, you know, they're going to, uh, it's like putting, painting a target on my back. Yeah. Uh, and so organizations at the highest level really need to understand that and to reward those who come forward, as I mm-hmm. said, and to uh, punish those who, um, firstly, have have um, harassed the, the victim or have retaliated against them for coming forward. Mm-hmm. That's another huge piece as well. Well, one piece that stood out to me, I remember working with a company and somebody was having some mental health struggles with with the pandemic where, you know, I would say most people, almost everybody did in their own in their own way. Yeah. And I said, well, are you going to, you know, are you going to voice a complaint? Are you going to, you know, say something, bring this forward oh no, uh, I'll have a stigma on my back. I'll never get promoted and I'm just going to be unstable. And I just, I was so sad to hear that because I thought it might not even be this organization. It might be that this is the thought of most people that it's weak. I'm not going to be considered for further promotion and that I can't handle pressure and stress. And I'm just like, this is, this is not weak. This is strength to do this. It's the complete opposite for you to raise your hand and say, I'm not okay here. I'm not okay. Yeah, and and they need examples. Um, th- those those individuals they can't be forced to come forward, obviously, and they live in their own 
um, you know, hell afterwards. So they need to see examples of others coming forward and not being and, and being promoted um, afterwards, not being uh, um, retaliated, retaliated against by the organization before they may come forward as well. So once you get a couple of people that are prepared to do that, um, I think you, you can change the whole culture in an organization. And it does take a little bit of time. I get that. But uh, every step forward is is a positive step. Yeah. And it, it goes back. I've always said, Tom, model the behavior and, and anything we do, especially for leaders. And it's just yeah. that's exactly what it is that show instead of just saying, you know, I have an open door policy or, you know, challenge people in a meeting show that you're challenging this person instead of just saying it. And, and I feel that that's what's not happening. We're compliant and we're checking a box. Yeah. But when someone says something and I've told my whole team to do this and I myself, I'm not doing it. You know what? Yeah. I need to shine that mirror on me a little bit, a little bit harder because it's just, it's giving that knowing doing gap. It's, it's widening it. And so we're telling them to do it, but yet we're not doing it ourselves. And so yeah. I, I totally believe that we have to disarm. We have to lean into our vulnerability and show them what it looks like and celebrate that and get rid of, you know, and start making changes that this is no longer acceptable. And, and that's creating the culture. It starts shifting things out that shouldn't be out. And then people are like, okay, I see how this is working. Cause in the absence of that, it's all gray. We need to start creating boundaries and barriers. that says this, if, if there's a gray zone, you know, that, that shows me that there's a lack of distinct culture and, and, and boundaries. Mm -hmm. It should be like, that's a yes or no. We, we can or cannot do that. And I think that's where leadership is failing in that they're leaving this ambiguous um, environment up to their their team. And they're like, well, I really don't know if that's wrong. Well, <laughs> you should know if it is or if it isn't. Yeah. And great, great points. And um, you made me think of the bullies in the organizations are only bullies because they've allowed to get, a, to get away with it. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they know the uh, CEO personally, they go golfing with them or whatever, you know, some examples, personal examples I've had in the past, but, uh, and that's why they, there's been no, no punishment done there. What happens is not only do the employees and the workers get empowered when something positive happens, but it's a real, it's a real wake up call for those people who bully because they think that's what they have to do to get ahead or yeah. that's how they show strength. As, as you said, that's, it's the opposite uh, mm -hmm. of strength. It's a true weakness because the bullies are, are making up for something inherently that they're missing inside, mm -hmm. uh, that they feel that they, the only way that they can get anyone to do something for them is, is, is if they're tough and, uh, and um, you know, crack the whip or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what that does when an organization stops uh, that train that they're on and doesn't necessarily make an example of any, anyone, but treats people who come forward with the respect that they deserve and then, you know, divvies out whatever dis discipline is required on the people that have been, have committed this particular harassment it sends a message to both sides mm -hmm. that please come forward. We will take you seriously and it won't, 
it won't uh, blemish your record. And anyone that's thinking about acting the way that per- particular person did, you better think twice because you'll be um, identified and there will be sanctions levied up to and including dismissal. Mm-hmm. So fear on that side, but not fear yeah. <laughs> on yeah. the leadership yeah. side. Yeah, that's Fe- great. It's a great analogy. The fear should be redirected. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect, perfect example. Yeah. Definitely. Just what you were saying about bullies and um, punishing them. What also it made me think about is, as you said, if they're golfing or, you know, whatever, they're they're insulating that upper layer. Mm -hmm. And what it also does is it keeps the bullies up there and it also prevents advancement because they're insulated. So I, I, and I don't, and now I'm going to throw a gender card in here, but in my experience, and I'm not saying women are not bullies, definitely, but sometimes there's men up top and they're buddies And there might be a little bit of bullying or not even bullying, but just lack of awareness of acknowledgement of those beneath them. And so because that relationship is strong, they've, they've kind of marked their, their spot in the territory or in that, in that level. And so anyone else who has the right skill set, who has servant leadership, who's leading with vulnerability and all the innovation and every that that's not even considered because of this bravado up top. And so I'm tying this back to, you know, women in sales and, you know, it's coming up to International Women's Day. And and these women are kept on a level, not sometimes it's because we don't put our hand up and I'll take that. But oftentimes there's no spots up there because these bullies or these people who aren't willing to consider us at an equal playing field are not creating the space for us to go there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I come from a law enforcement background, Karen. So I've seen the old boys clubs and the, the male dominated, uh, uh, you know, culture and thank God it's changing and it, and it can't change fast enough. So you're exactly right that there is inherently traditional old school cultures that in, impair the ability for people to, to move up and to express their displeasure with something that they heard or saw. Um, and that's just what we were talking about is, is to change that mindset, to change that culture, to show that they're taking things seriously by actually act by action rather than just words and presentations and seminars and to give and empower the people to come forward and to discipline those that are, um, you know, breaching the, um, the legislation or or being a bully. The Canadian Centre of Occupational Health and Safety, uh, CCOHS, is a great source for anyone that's looking for examples of bullying. It's not really Mm -hmm. defined in our legislation per se. Harassment is and bullying is uh, a part of it that gives rise to the harassment uh, really offense. But, uh, you know, there's really good examples they have. I'll just share a few things here. Uh, excluding or isolating someone socially. Like how often does that happen? Like, oh, I'm sorry, I missed you. I missed I missed uh, you inviting you to that meeting. Well, you know, like, is that, is that a bullying maybe? It, 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 in isolation on its own, maybe not. But in, con- in concert with, uh, as, as a friend of mine used to describe, it's a constellation of things. If there's a number of different things that are happening, um, intimidating a person, obviously, but undermining or in deliberately impeding a person's work. 
uh, didn't give you all the information you needed to do something, didn't provide mm -hmm. training in Excel as an example. And we use Excel all the time and we just expected you to know it or you have to learn it on your own. Is that undermining or deliberately impeding you to do your work? It could possibly be. Uh, so people really have to expand their vision of what bullying is in the workplace. And this is a great source uh, for anyone just to, to have a look and to, to uh, review. And I think, Tom, this is my gut, that if I'm considering or contemplating bringing something forward or that doesn't feel right, the fact that I'm asking myself that question probably answers it's not right. Uh, 100%. And so what if you bring it forward and it's not really deemed to be uh, bullying? In, in my mm -hmm. past example there about the motorcycle, that person had no idea. I truly believe that. They had no idea that, you know, they're living obviously under in a rock or a, under a rock or a cave, but they really didn't. And they immediately apologized. Mm -hmm. Now, I was advised that, the, that they immediately apologized and swore that they would never do it again. And they, you know... <laughs> wanted to shovel the person's driveway for the next winter, you know, as, you know, to, uh, to apologize for it. But no, they took it seriously. And, and that's what we want. Mm -hmm. You know, these bullies may not know what they're doing is, is, is yeah, they know what they're doing, but they may not know the impact that they're having. And if that is brought to light and they get to change and, you know, I'll just end it by saying that in my mediations, my conflict mediations, the most important parts come when someone acknowledges what they did had an impact on the others and in some cases apologize i i have seen the transformation in two people that haven't talked for three years in one example and the one person apologized to the other and had no they said i had no idea you were going through that i'm so sorry if i had have known i never would have I certainly didn't want you to go through what you were going through. Thank you for telling me. I, I sit back as a mediator and I watch the transformation. And it's so powerful. And I think, you know, they're, they're going to go off now and have a totally different relationship at mm -hmm. work because it's future focused. Can't help what happened in the past. Think yeah. about how are we going to work together in the future? Yeah, what a great yeah. story. And, and oftentimes, you know, in that instance, they weren't aware, but sometimes it's ego, right? And it's like, yeah. I'm not willing to swallow my pride. And oh, sure. and so when you can resolve something in three years, but well, that's, that's fantastic. But you know, what I, what I see is people just want to be heard. They want to be, they want to be validated and they want um, to know that what, that they matter. And, you know, a lot of times people rush to the solution mode and it's like, can you just acknowledge my feelings first? Because I don't care if you're going to do this. I need to know that, that what I've said, actually you've, you've taken it in. You've taken this. I'm a person. These are feelings. And there, there's an old uh, saying about getting gotten. People want to get gotten. <laughs> I love that terminology, but yeah, I really get you. I get yeah. you. Uh, you know, and if someone says that to me, I, I really get what you're saying there. It mm -hmm. really speaks to me. Oh, we've developed that bond to, for the future. And, you know, it, in your sales work, I can only assume this because I'm not in that business, but if you can get to the person on that level where you get each other and as a salesperson talking to a potential client and the client feels that they're gotten, they've been gotten, I think you're well on your way to a positive outcome. Yeah, that's huge. And it is. And I think that's just in life. I mean, definitely in yeah. sales too, but it shows, and, and, the, and this is where I want to go next, where we're going to end on this, but 
you know, that's just getting, getting them to a level where they are understood. And that a lot of that's active listening. And I would say too many salespeople are going in with their own agendas and they're not waiting or giving, you know, the, the exchange time to allow them to get gotten right. Cause it takes yeah, time. Yeah. It takes asking questions. It takes empathy, yeah. storytelling, all these things. But the minute you're, that's when you can help them before then you cannot help them because that's your perception or your bias right. taking over or your desire, right. your commission breath. But when you're getting them and they know it and they feel it and they let go and they surrender because they know that they're gotten and they're in good hands. And it's almost like an imaginary baton and they're passing it and they're like, now you go. That's great. And what a great analogy, like the, the baton passing that, that makes so much sense, which yeah. means I'm actually listening to you. I want to end here on, on having difficult conversations, whether this is, you know, a manager, it, it doesn't really matter who it is, but can you walk through kind of some de-escalation tactics to diffuse things? And really, as we said, as you mentioned, future focus, a lot of people, and, and what I see too, is a lot of people who were perhaps the sales reps were promoted to a manager. And so they're new in the role. And all of a sudden you, we went to being buddies to now I got to, you know, perhaps discipline you. That's one example, or just in, the, in, in general, what are some tactics that people can do that sales managers or leaders can do to kind of diffuse, deescalate, bring it down so that we can move forward and we can get to that future focus mode. Yeah. And there's so many different variables involved here. If it's, if it's, a supervisor speaking to an employee about, you know, a, a potential performance issue, or if it's more serious and someone is really upset. Mm -hmm. uh, so I always start this off by saying, make sure you are physically safe. Number one priority, because you can't operate if you are nervous about potentially being assaulted. So set yourself up in a way that you are physically safe. You know where the door is if you have to escape. You know, it's just some of those, some of those techniques like being aware of your surroundings. Where, where am I? How can I get out if I have to? So, and that can take just a few seconds. It doesn't derail anything, but just make sure that that, that piece is, is addressed. The next piece obviously is just to stay calm. When people are upset, they will try to there's obviously the red brain and the blue brain analogy. And the red brain is our old uh, fight, flight, or freeze. And the blue brain is more of our analytical, more cultured, newer side. You want to get people into that side of their brain, into that analytical piece. So when they're in the red side, red side of their brain, they're, they're yelling, they're, they're upset. Firstly, don't take anything personal, whatever they're saying. You know, it's their opinions. You were in a half an hour late. Do you treat all your people, all your clients like that? Okay, whatever happened, happened. That's personal. That's them feeling upset. You don't have to take that on. Staying calm. And then, obviously, the staying calm piece also is in your body language. So you don't want to be standing. I, I used to joke in my body, in my body language presentations uh, about workplace and personal safety is you don't want to talk to someone like this. Hi, Karen. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> you don't want to be in a defensive mode, but you can be in a, I, I can hold my hands like this and talk to you. And now I'm, I'm still protecting myself, but this is certainly doesn't appear to be aggressive at all. So, mm -hmm. you know, maintain that neutral body position because people pick up on unsaid things even more than what we say. And then, you want to start to practice being empathetic, putting yourself in their shoes 
And then the key to switching them from the fight, flight, or freeze to the analytical piece is to ask questions. And, and we, I know we've had these conversations about, you know, you're, you're such a proponent of asking important questions, asking probing questions, getting them off that position that they hold into what their interests are. And the only way you can do that is by asking them, well, what would you like to see happen? How could we get you what you want? Those types of things. Almost immediately, Gary Furlong's got a great book, uh, book out on this, on asking these probing questions. Immediately, they switch into, okay, well, this is what I want from <laughs> yelling and screaming. Because it takes them, what? I'm being asked a question. I have to think for a second to tell you what I want. Shifts them right out of the... Uh, fight, flight, or freeze. So what's the shift there? Is it that it, the focus is on the future state, the focus is on them, or you've just switched? Like, what what caused that shift? Uh, well, he may have a different analysis of, an analogy of it, but in my mind, my position is you did me wrong, and now I'm being asked a question, uh, and I'm maintaining that, and I'm, I'm just hammering. I'm trying to think up ways to tell you how wrong you are, Mm-hmm. And then you ask me a question about what would I like to see? I, I have to, I take a stutter step because you're making me go, well, wait, what would I like? Well, well, this is, you know, the reason why I'm here is because, you know, I need new windows. And all of us, I've stopped saying, you you didn't show up when you said you, you wanted to, well, what do you want happen? I need new windows. You know, mm-hmm. like I've actually switched from this to this. Uh, in my mind, I think I'm switching my brain side. So I don't know how that happens or why, but it's just a a physical and probably a psychological shift that people automatically Mm -hmm. make. It feels like it went from, you know, I'm not on your side to I am on your side. And we're kind of moving into that resolution mode. And how can we, what would you say, what would you like to see happen? So you're now driving it, but what audience member is supporting that? So it's like, how can we come together? But you are the, the focus here. And that's so that's so great. You're the focus because what you've done is they're upset because they're out of control. Yeah. You were late. You didn't show up on time. You said you'd be here at five. I didn't have control over that. Uh, I'm out of control because you were supposed to be here at five. I had everything planned. So when I when I use the term, what would you like to see happen? I'm giving them their control back. Yeah. Immediately. Oh, well. I, I would like you to apologize and then we can move on. I'm really mm-hmm. sorry. I apologize. All right, then. You know, we gave them their control back. And and that's the part that they were missing when they're upset. Yeah, a that's lot of it. that. That just reminds me of Chris Voss's book is The Power, When We Lose Power. And mm-hmm. his example was when his kids ask him something, he says no right away. Because it shows that then he can actually consider what it is they thought, but it kind of buys them time and yeah. shows them he's got the power. Yeah. Um, but then you can go, so, so what was it that you actually wanted to do? So it just, you know, brings the control back, but in an indirect way. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and that's really at the core. I think uh, a lot of the books are on conflict and, and lack of communication is people's um, feeling out of control. And the reason why they escalate is they, they need to have some sort of control back in their life. And if you can mm-hmm. give them a little bit, remember my work with domestic violence victims, all their lives, they've been out of control. They have had no control over their life. They've been told where to be and when and, you know, to have supper made at a particular time and who they can see and who they can't. And when we go in as police officers, we want to 
we want to give them some control back by saying, what would you like to do? Is there someone that you could call to, to come and sit with you while we go through this process? And giving them that little bit of control back is, in some cases, uh, it's foreign to them, but it really helps them start to feel better about themselves. Yeah, I think that's the turning point. And I, I would imagine after years of that, is that they don't, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to make yeah. a decision because it's been removed from them. And I can see that parallel in corporate that, and this is where leaders that give their team the answers versus leaders that empower their team by asking them questions and increasing their self-awareness, then they, they do have that. They, they might initially go, well, I don't actually know what I would do because you've held my hand for the last five years. But all of a yeah. sudden, you've given me space wow, let me just see what my capability here, my confidence is. And then just like the consistency and the regularity over time, I'm going to know what to do. Uh, one, and one last thing, which is seems, seems sort of small, but I think is pretty powerful is to allow silence. Mm. You know, we, we want to fill the gap. Um, it's uncomfortable. No one's talking. Well, I have to yeah. say something. Yeah. If you could train yourself not to, Voss, I think, you know, he'll do this in his interrogation or in, in interviewing. Um, and certainly we used it all the time in, in interviewing and police suspects is, is to bite your tongue, allow that time, that space, and don't fill it yourself. Let them fill it. They'll feel uncomfortable and trust me, they will fill it. But that starts the communication. What would mm -hmm. you like to see happen? Oh, I love that. I am all about the pause and the silence, especially in, in negotiations and anything. And I think salespeople, especially junior salespeople, it's uncomfortable initially for anybody, but lean into that discomfort. I love what you just said, bite your tongue. I put myself on mute. So it takes me that three or four seconds to get there, but yeah. they will fill it. They 100% would fill it. And, and in sales, this is a bit off topic, but as soon as somebody drops the price, and they immediately start talking about, well, you know, like maybe we'll discount. And you're like, ah, ah, what? Bite your tongue. You didn't need to go there. So pausing. I'm so glad you brought that up. It's huge. Embrace the silence because sometimes, again, we just need to hear what you just told me. Holy cow, this is the first time. I can't believe my team is doing this. Or mm -hmm. I actually need that. That's a great solution. Let me just like ponder for a moment how yeah. we could put that into, into place. So it's just, mm -hmm. let's just let it simmer. And, and be okay with that. We get so much input all the time. We don't have time yeah. to process. And it's just giving everyone time to process and think and breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Human That's beings versus human doings. Yeah. Thank you so much for your insights. Hope it's helpful. Yeah. I, I think, you know, when, when we look at, we talked about a lot of things from communication, our perception about it, um, how to save a, save, create a safe space, disarming and leaning into your vulnerability as leaders and really, you know, the unspoken word, but there's a lot of people watching. So if we're not doing the right thing to the individual, there's a lot of people on the sidelines that may be brushing up their resume as a result and saying, this is not the type of organization or the culture that I want to be part of. So right. a lot of eyes on, on us now more than ever before. Um, Tom, if people want to learn more about you or yeah. uh, Blue Mediation, where, where can they find you? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Tom Gerling, and I also have a website, bluemediation.com. So I specialize in law enforcement, but I'm willing to work with any organization or any group. I've done lots of work with um, uh, hospitals, et cetera, and healthcare, and also with law enforcement. Um, but I'm bluemediation.com, and there's I think there's a contact page in there if you'd want to get in touch with me. Okay, well, we'll have the, all that in our show notes. So again, thank you so much, Tom, for your time and your insights today. 
Great, Karen. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And a great time. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to the K2 Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Our weekly sales insights are geared towards sales reps, leaders, and small business owners to help navigate the complexity of modern day sales. Our tactical takeaways help you put a plan in place to start creating your own game-changing results. Until next time, happy selling. This podcast was produced by Tosh Taylor of the Podcast Hub Productions. Find her online at podcasthub.ca.